I was taught that um, as a result of salvation, after salvation, there were a, a number of tangible results that would grow as evidence of salvation in my life. For example, I was taught once you're saved, there's this peace that surpasses human comprehension as you trust your life into the hands of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says and describes it right that at the peace of God that's beyond human comprehension will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's another. If you entrust your life into Christ, there's this joy that's overflowing and, and there's this great Sunday school song that's kind of built off that truth and it's called I've Got the Joy. And, uh, and so... The worship team decided that they've been feeling left out on how we're doing this, and we have a group of kids come up here, and so uh, would you stand, and uh, it's, uh, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, and when the lyrics say where, I expect to hear it from you. You got. I got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I got the love of Jesus in my heart. Down in my heart. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I got the love of Jesus in my heart. I've got the wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer way down in the depths of my heart. Down in the depths of my heart. Down in the depths of my heart. I've got the wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer way down in the depths of my heart. Down in the depths of my heart to stay. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. Well done, well done. Thank you, ladies. Tyler, you can be seated. Tyler, I'm very impressed, actually, with that last verse. <laughs> now I know what you did all week, practicing that one line. I don't know about you, it's a song that I just grew up singing as a child. It was this truth that was just supposed to manifest and flow out of my life, that once you have this relationship with Jesus, there's this joy that's overflowing. And I was thinking this week, man, joy is easy when my guy wins the election. Joy is easy when my kids are healthy and successful in life. Joy is easy when church is going well. 
Joy's easy when my wife responds the way I want her to. Life is easy when there's more money in my bank account than I expected. Joy is easy. But what about when my guy doesn't win the election? Should I have joy then? What about when disease hits someone's life who I love? Should I have joy then? What if my marriage is hard? Should I have joy then? Financial distress, crazy pastor, in the midst of all of the drama, are we still to have joy? The same type of joy that overflows from our heart, that's easy when life is good. Are we still to have joy in the midst of hard times? It's something I want to share with you. That's a question I'd like to answer. What does God want for us when life is hard? What does God expect from us when life isn't easy? When we come across those challenges and difficulties of life, what has God empowered us to do, and how do we do it? That's what I'd love to share with you today. If you have your Bibles, you can join me in the book of James. James is in the New Testament. It's near the back. As you're trying to locate James in your Bible, let me tell you a little bit about the guy who wrote it. It's written by a man named... James, man, you guys are so good. <laughs> James is a man known for his piety, known for the transformation of his character. You may know him as James, the man who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. You might know him as a man named James the Just. It was a name given to him by his culture because of the character and the way that he treated everybody within his town. You might know him as Old Camel Knees, a name given to him because of his life of prayer that he spent so much time on his knees that his knees were disfigured based on the hour and pressure and the dirt kneeling before God. You might know him as James the Lesser, as in not a real apostle. No, James just had the dubious honor of being the little brother of Jesus. In fact, James didn't always do his role well as the brother of Jesus. When Jesus was ministering around his hometown, people actually used James to discredit the ministry of Jesus. They said, is this Jesus, the big brother of James? I mean, James had a life of uh, seemingly of, of opposing the ministry of his big brother, but something happened in James' life. Most believe after the resurrection, James had an epiphany, a come-to-Jesus moment where his life changed when he recognized the true ministry of Jesus his heart was transformed. He was no longer James the Lesser. He was James the Just, old camel knees, a leader of the ministry of the Church of Jerusalem and the author of the letter. 
James the Just, Old Camel Knees, James the Lesser, James the Little Brother of Jesus wrote a letter to Christians. Christians back then, and I believe still Christians today, to help them know how to live a life of faith, a life that's pleasing to God even in the midst of challenging and difficult times. If you have your Bibles, we're in James chapter 1. We're just going to be spending our time in three verses. Here's what they are. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There's a number of words I want to define for you first, just to make sure that we're understanding them the same way. I don't know about you, but I find that sometimes people use the same words to mean different things. First thing I want to show you is, is that phrase, all joy. That term joy defines gladness, a great happiness, a delight in life. That term all describes every kind of joy, a whole and complete joy, a pure and overflowing joy. When you see that phrase, all joy, it is this all-encompassing, overflowing, every aspect of joy. He also talks about various trials. Trials is used to describe trouble, difficulty, anything that breaks the pattern of peace and comfort in your life. That term various used to describe a variety, a diversity, all kinds of trouble. It isn't focused on the number of troubles, it's focused on the diversity of troubles. Perhaps my favorite one. It says, when you encounter various trials, that term encounter is used to describe someone who falls into a pit that they didn't recognize previously. Encounters where you're suddenly overtaken by powers larger than you that you didn't recognize or notice before. It describes someone who's just walking through life and everything is going great when wham! You're suddenly overtaken, suddenly fell into a pit, and you find yourself bloodied, bruised, and wondering what happened. That's what James is describing when he says encounter various trials. When you suddenly find yourself overtaken by all sorts of trouble. Man, that trouble could be brought on by Satan. It could be allowed by God. It could be the result of your own sin. But regardless... It's going to happen. See, he doesn't say if it happens. If you happen to find yourself in a bloody pit, if you happen to find yourself going through life thinking everything's great, when all of a sudden, wham, you're surrounded by trouble, he says when. If you haven't already, it's just a matter of time. When, because troubles, trials, tribulations, it's part of the normal ebb and flow of life. James says, when you're suddenly overtaken and surrounded by trials, difficulties, and issues, and drama in your life. He says the result should be pure joy emanating from your life. And we hear that, we're thinking, that can't be possible. 
I mean, that's just not humanly realistic. That's another opportunity the Bible put in the bar way up here for us Christians that we're never going to read. Really? Let me show you something. Put your thumb in James. Flip over to the left a little bit to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. While you're turning there, Paul and Barnabas are in the middle of their second missionary journey. They happen upon the Roman colony called Philippi. They're walking through life, doing the work of Jesus, and that's where we pick up the story. Acts 16, 16. It says, as it happened, that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling, following after Paul and us. She kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, and Paul was greatly annoyed, no kidding, right? And turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to be uh, lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. Verse 22, the crowd rose up together against them. The chief magistrates tore their robes off them, proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. I mean, these guys, bloodied backs, they're put in these things where your muscles cramp up. They were in horrific pain. Look at verse 25. But big, huge biblical but right there. Just when you're expecting Paul and Silas to respond like maybe you and I would. Why, God? Look what they did. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening. I mean, this wasn't a show for the prisoners. This was something that was emanating from Paul's life. Beaten unjustly, thrown in prison, in horrific position, in the belly of a jail, with no hope and no help coming, Paul and Silas are there singing praises to God, celebrating the work of God. And my question is, what did Paul know that I don't? What does Paul and Silas know that we don't? What does James know that we've missed? Now back at James, that's what I think James' purpose of these three or four verses is, to give us steps. Steps on how we can have joy even in the midst of the harshest times. Man, it's easy to have this Christian joy when things are good. It's easy to have the Christian joy when you leave California and move to Tennessee. That's easy. That's all your folk over there. <laughs> what happens when you're here in Kooky, California? Man, how do we have joy living here? Man, it's easy to have Christian joy when our family is just clicking. 
But it's difficult to have joy, isn't it? When the sin of family begins to infiltrate. How can we have joy in the midst of trial? In this text, James gives us four steps. Four steps on how you can have joy in your life, even in the midst of hardship. First one, first word of verse two, consider. That term consider means to regard something as important, a belief that causes you to take certain steps in life. And listen, there's something you need to know. This is in the imperative form. It is a direct command, a directive where James is looking at Christians and saying, listen, you need to do this. This is an expectation. This is something that has to happen. Consider. Change your perspective. When you encounter various trials, not if, when, you need to have this decision in your heart early on that when you encounter various trials, when you fall into that pit of suffering, when you are suddenly overtaken by the drama and struggles of life, your mindset, your intentionality needs to be to think of those trials as joyous. All joy, pure joy. Every aspect, every kind of it. It's a conscious decision you need to make in the midst of trials in your life. When you are suddenly surrounded by difficulty, make a conscious choice to see it as joyful. And again, you might, oh, Brian, that that just sounds too hard to do. Yeah, it's a discipline. It's something that you're really going to have to be intentionally building and working at in your life. Here's an example of it. Look at something Paul said, Philippians chapter 3. He uses that same term, consider. He says, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted, I have considered. Same term. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted, considered as lost for the sake of Christ more than that, I count, consider all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. And you're saying, well, Brian, that's Paul. He's like a super Christian. We can't do that. And we just assume that Paul just fell backwards into Christian characters. But look what he says in the next chapter, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, 4.11. There it is. It says this, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content whatever circumstances I am. Paul says, I learned it. Man, it's been something I've had to develop over time. This ability to consider everything as loss as compared to the glory of Christ Jesus. Man, it's something I've worked at. It's something I've intentionally grown and developed in my life, this contentment that whether I'm in riches or poor, whether I'm in freedom or bondage, whether I'm in power or submission, I consider it all joy. Paul says, that's something I learned. It's something I practiced. It's something that I had to be intentionally developing 
in my life. And you want to have joy, a characteristic that the Bible says should be flowing from Christians in good and bad. James says, when you find yourself surrounded by trouble, make the conscious, intentional choice to see it as joyful. Step one, consider. Step two, understand. This is what I love about James. Because if you're like me, you're like, why? Why should I consider hardships joyful? I mean, what madness does that mean? I mean, how can I be expected to do that? James says, consider it all joy because of what you understand about the work of God. Look what he says next, verse 3. Well, let's just read the whole thing. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. That term knowing, man, why should we consider it all joy? Because of what you know. You have an intimate knowledge. You have such a knowledge of this subject that you can teach a college course in it. Why should I consider hard times joyous? Because of what you know and understand. No means to have an intimate understanding of something. You know a truth so well that you can teach it to someone else. And then James gives you two things that it's going to accomplish. It says, knowing, number one, that the testing of your faith. A term test means to examine in order to determine the authenticity of something. It's a process to prove the genuineness of something. Listen to me. When difficulty and hardship comes to your life, your faith will be tested, will be proven. You ever notice when you come into hard times, when you find yourself suddenly surrounded by difficulty and challenge, that you start to pray more? You ever notice that when you're surrounded by difficulty and challenge, you're, you're more hungry for the word? You're looking for direction. You're looking for some form of guidance. You ever notice that when you're surrounded by difficulty, you draw closer to your Christian friends, to your small group, to your Bible study. You come to church more regularly because you're trying to draw close to the Lord because you need something to get you through it. That's the testing of your faith. And your test is proving genuine when you're in the midst of struggle and trial. You start reaching for the Lord. Man, you're going through trial and you find yourself leaning and reaching for God. That proves the genuineness of your faith. But have you ever wondered when hard times come? You pray less? Ever find yourself when you're in the midst of difficulty? You cast the Bible aside in response of anger? Ever find yourself in the midst of difficulty and challenge and trial in your life? You ditch church more often. You hide from people. You disengage from others. 
That's proving your faith is inadequate. James isn't saying this proves your salvation. It's saying it proves your faith where the rubber meets the road. Man, consider all joy, James says, when you're in the midst of trial. Consider Consider it all joy because of what you know. Because based on these struggles, it's going to show you the growth and strength and vibrancy of your faith, or it will show you the feebleness, brokenness, weakness of your faith. But does something else. You don't need to understand that it will test your faith, but look at this. It produces endurance. Produce means to cause to be. Bring something about. Endurance means to have steadfastness, staying power, consistency in the midst of adversity, a determination to remain faithful to God even in the midst of hard times. James says, consider it all joy, man. When you're suddenly overtaken, surrounded by trouble, think, consider, change your perspective, man. Get excited. Why? Because of what you understand. You know that this is going to, number one, test your faith. It's going to show you where you are in your walk with Jesus. And second, it will produce, it will grow, it will develop strength, steadfastness, consistency in the midst of adversity. That led me to a question in my head. Do you think every Christian has the same amount of endurance? Hard times come. Do you think we all have the same amount of staying power? No, right? Young Christians, new believers, to have this newfound faith and, and pursuit of Jesus? Hard times come. Man, they're not going to have the endurance of a seasoned believer. Someone who has years and decades of pursuing the Lord, enduring difficulty, training themselves to consider, to think about it differently, allowing that to test their faith and build endurance. No, there's going to be different stages of endurance within the church. And I want to give you a quick note. Perseverance and endurance... Maturity isn't based on age, length at church, or position in church. Maturity is not based on your age, how many years you've been going here, or your position in church. One example of it, look no farther than the COVID time, right? A few years back. I mean, talk about suddenly overtaken. Out of nowhere. Churches, Christians were floundering. You want to know the time within Christian history where more churches quit the minute, more pastors quit the ministry in any other time? More pastors quit, folded up, I'm out during COVID than any other time in history. And you look back, there's some kooky times in history. More Christian leaders quit during COVID than any other time. You had pastors calling out other pastors, Christians calling out other Christians. The church divided like nothing I had ever seen in my experience during COVID. 
Man, endurance is not based on church size. Maturity is not based on age. Perseverance is not built or based on your position in church. It's based on your faith. According to James, it's based on how well and how long you've been considering hardship joy. How long you've understood that when you come into hardship, it will, number one, test your faith, and number two, it will build strength, staying power, consistency, solidify your heart. Look at something Paul said in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, 14. Paul says this, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the... Oop, can we go back? That's at the end. Starting in verse 14. One more. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. He says, man, we're not supposed to be so pliable. We're supposed to be solid. We're supposed to be rooted. We're supposed to have staying power. How do we get it? By speaking, oops, sorry, go back. By speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. By speaking the truth together from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Man, you want to build strength and character. You want to solidify your heart so that when you're surrounded by various kinds of trials, suddenly you're just overtaken by the calamities of life. Paul says you want to have this strength, you build it together. Man, that's why we're such a huge believer here of small groups, Bible studies, getting involved in something smaller than this. If this is all you do for your Christian growth, and then open up the daily bread with your cup of coffee, snap in your picture, and post it on social media, man, I just got to tell you, I'm not confident that's going to cut it when various trials surround you and overtake your life. You need to have people. They'll encourage you, equip you, surround you, exhort you, empower you, speak truth in your life. James says, when you encounter various trials, number one, consider it, change your, the way you see it. Why? Because you understand what it's going to produce in your life. Like God's going to use this to do crazy things in your heart and in your soul. Number three, Okay, Brian, what do we do then? If we change our thinking and we understand what he's doing, what do we do? That's step three, submit. Look at what he says, verse four. It says, let endurance have its perfect result. Let have, passive imperative, meaning as a direct command for us, but dependent on something else to get it done. Let it, that's your job. Let endurance have. You need to submit. You need to let go. You need to quit fighting God. Let the power of God, let what he's doing in the midst of the difficulty, let this endurance that he's building in your life, let it work in your life. 
Quit fighting God. Let God do his work. If you fight this process, if you resist this work, you're not only holding your own growth back, you're resisting the work of God in your life. Man, that's hard. When you're overtaken by difficulty and trouble, think about it differently because of what you understand about what God is doing. And then sit back, throw your hands up. Let God do his thing. Look what happens as a result. And let endurance have its perfect result. Mature, genuine, complete work of God. Man, only when we sit back in the midst of those fiery furnace moments in life where we allow God to do his work. Let me tell you, that's, that's going to be my hardest step. When things are broken, I just tend to jump in and fix things. I panic. I start doing stuff. When my kids were sick, I panicked. When the church is struggling, I panic. Because I think that there's something I need to do to fix it. James says, when you find yourself suddenly surrounded by difficulty, look at it differently. Consider it all joy. Consider it. Look at it with joy in your heart. Yay! Not in the fake Christian yay of on the outside, but in the inside, you're just churning in turmoil. Change your perspective. Look forward to something that's going to happen. Jesus When he went to the cross, you know how it describes it? For the joy set before him. He looked at the joy that was going to come as a result of this process. Man, when you're surrounded by difficulty, change your perspective. Understand, know what God's doing. And then hug a tree and just wait for God to do its work, right? Isn't that what we tell our kids when you're lost? Stay. Why? What's our instinct? When we're hurting, when we're in trouble, what do we do? We lash out, we run, we scream, we holler, we throw. Hug a tree. Let God do its work. You want to be faithful to the Lord in the midst of challenge. You want to be a reflection of who Jesus is when hard times come. Consider understand, submit. Here's the fourth. Have hope. Have hope. Look how he finishes it. Let endurance have its perfect result. Look at this. So that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect means to be a mature believer, genuine, complete product of faith. Complete means to be whole, where all parts are assembled correctly. Someone whose character lacks nothing else to be added. He restates it just for fun. Complete, lacking in nothing. Man, you're perfect. You're a mature mature believer. Fully assembled. No extra parts. Just in case you doubt that, you're a mature believer. Fully assembled. No extra parts with no extra parts. 
Like you're going to finish at a spot where you are a pure reflection of who Jesus is. And some of you are like, ah, Brian, that doesn't happen until I see Jesus here, there, in the air, right? Here's the problem I see. See, James seems to think that it's possible for you today. Let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect, complete. Maybe means it's highly probable to happen for you if you follow these steps. It's not outside of reach. This could be true in your life. But you need to follow these steps. And James, you got to feel for him. You grew up being the little brother of Jesus, right? I mean, being the little brother is hard enough. Being the little brother of Jesus had to be horrible. But James suddenly saw Jesus for who he was. Built a life of trusting his big brother for everything in life. When he dispensed justice in culture, he interacted with people the way he thought Jesus would interact with them. And culture responded in incredible ways. Man, James didn't trust his own instincts, so he spent countless hours on his knees in prayer, hoping to be transformed in the image of his big brother, guided by the Holy Spirit sent by his big brother. James modeled it, man. He lived his life. He even died being faithful to God. But before he died, he wrote a letter to his friends. Here's something I've learned. May you want to be a reflection of Jesus in the midst of kooky culture and crazy family and difficult times in life, a challenging boss, crazy church. James says, here's the plan. Not if, when you're surprised by the trouble that's around you. Consider it differently. My question for you is, where do you need to choose joy today? What trouble? What struggle? Where do you need to choose joy? Second step, understand. Where do you need to remember? I know some of you are in the midst of hardship even today. Where do you need to change your perspective and understand what God's building in you, your family, the churches in your culture? Change your understanding. God is not losing control. He knows what he's doing and he is at work in your life. Where do you need to understand? Submit. Where do you need to quit fighting God? Where do you need to, where do you need to stop trying to figure it out on your own and fixing it in your own power? Where do you need to just hug a tree and wait for God to do his work? Not in them, in you. And lastly, hope. Where do you need to rest in confidence? That God is in charge 
And he will use whatever you're going through to form you into a pure reflection of who he is. Four steps. Consider, understand, submit, and hope. Man, if we practice those four things, the result, I think, would be unexplainable. Other than the power of God, let's pray. (sighs) Jesus, many of us are here this morning because we believe in your power. Because we believe in your work. God, many of us are even here because, God, we're needing it. We're desiring it. We're hungry for it. So, God, I pray first for those people in our congregation today who are in the midst of trouble, God. Everything was fine. Everything was going great. And then they just found themselves falling into a pit surrounded by trouble. And they don't know where the trouble's from. They don't know if it's Satan, if it's allowed by you, if it's a product of their own sin. And God, all they know is that it's hurt and they're afraid and they're struggling and they're wasting away. God, for those people, I pray that you will speak to their hearts this morning. May you empower them to consider. May you empower them to shift their perspective and see things differently. God, open their minds that they could understand what you're doing, what you're doing in them. God, give them faith that they can submit to you, submit to this process. They will allow you to chisel away at the hardness of their heart and form them into a pure reflection of who you are. And Jesus, give them hope that the work that you're beginning in them, you will be faithful to complete it. God, for those people here who are in a time of peace, comfort, God, everything's going great. God, may you give them resolve, give them strength in their character, surround them with people, give them stability in you now, God, so when those hard times come, they will be equipped and empowered to consider it all joy. They'd have faith as they understand your plan. They'd have the power to submit to you. And they would have hope. As they look to all that you are still yet to do in their life and through it. Go to pray all these things in Jesus' name.